Good morning. How is everyone? All right. That's so good to see you all. What a privilege and a blessing uh, to be here with you all. I, every Sunday, I'm just blown away at God's goodness and bringing us all together like this. Um, uh, even in the heat. I, will, I, I walked down to my office early this morning. Walked down from the house to the... It was already hot. Um, and uh, so even turning the air conditioner on in here early, it just couldn't keep up. So I apologize for that. It's hot, it's hot the next week. We'll figure out a, you know, a way. We don't want people to be uncomfortable. But uh, anyhow, uh, I would ask uh, as you turn to Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 43. Um, uh, I would ask that you would pray for my dear friends Richard and Susie um, as they are uh, grieving um, their son. Uh, Steve, who passed away um, just yesterday, early. So we love you guys, and we're praying for you. And so, yeah, uh, we will continue in that. Um, I what a privilege it was to pray with him uh, on Thursday night. So, Luke chapter six, verse forty-three. Let's just begin. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our merciful God, right now, I just want to first lift up to you um, our dear uh, family, our dear brother and sister Richard and Susie, and just pray that you would uh, fill them with your peace, comfort, and even joy, knowing that you are honored in all things. Um, God, that you would uh, just uh, just grieve with them as you grieve with those who grieve and be present with them as they navigate their grief. Uh, we ask that you would just touch them mightily right now, Lord. We also thank you this morning that you have called us in fellowship to gather as your church and that, that we have the privilege of being here worshiping in communion with your holy church around the world this morning. We pray for all believers that they would be drawn to your throne and transformed mightily through their worship. Forgive us, O oh God, of our sins and prepare our hearts to hear from you as we open your word. We are so often dishonest with ourselves about the fruit that we bear grow in us and produce out of us fruit that is dripping with the sweetness of your grace. Make us holy, Lord, as we receive your word this morning. Cleanse us by washing us with your word that we might honor you. God, we ask that your spirit would be with us as we receive your word and know you more. We give this time to you to open our hearts and to hear your voice in the name of of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Many of you like to 
eat food that you grow and gather. Who, who likes to do that? You got a garden, stuff, uh, or hunters, any hunters? Anybody like hunting for their food? Yeah, uh, I like ordering my food off a menu. Um, or, or even collecting it in a shopping cart in an air-conditioned building, right? Because I'm rugged like that. Um, no, no, actually, in, in New York, I thought it would be fun to, get, to, to grow a, a garden and eat the food. And uh, the deer decided that was fun t- too, and we got no food. Um, and so, but, but everyone hunts in New York, so I decided maybe that's the thing to do. Kill two birds with one stone, revenge and food, right? So the, the, the kids and I then, we got to watch a guy field dress a deer. He taught us how to do it, and so I bought a motorcycle instead. Uh, because, listen, I love venison. I don't know if you do it. I love venison. I'd love to see venison in the meat section at Village Market, but... I'm not a fan of getting the body fluids of wild game all over me. That's just not my thing, I guess. I don't know. But, but there are all kinds of things outside of a grocery store that we can eat, right? We, we, in New York, we had a couple of apple trees in our yard. Um, they were really pretty old apple trees. You know, they look all rugged, um, really cool. Um, and, and the kids loved eating the apples when they could beat the deer to them. And they, they were great. We also had blackberry bushes. Those were popular among the deer, the coyotes, the bear, anything else. But there was enough of them that the kids got to some of them, and they would come back in the house with this bluish-purple stain all over themselves. Uh, they just, they just pick the berries off the bush and eat them in the yard. And, and by the way, that does not come out of clothes just so you know. Uh, we, we also had some plants with these little red berries that were not edible. Uh, they looked tasty, but they were not for food. <laughs> uh, but fruits, vegetables, nuts, they come from something that grows, right? A tree or a bush, some of them are roots, you know, different things. But here, these here, um, I think would go with a good salad. Don't those look delicious? Those look good. You love putting stuff like that on the... And yes, I eat salad. Um, it's often a great source of bacon if it's made right. But these look like little cherry tomatoes. The problem is that they're actually a fruit called a Jerusalem cherry that's highly toxic. Anybody here know that? Nobody knew that. Oh, one person did. Oh, you were here last service. Put your hand down. But yeah, it's highly toxic, Right? Here's another example of a delicious looking little tomato. Those, are, those look good. You wouldn't want to make little fried green tomatoes from this fruit though. It's actually called horse nettle and they contain an alkaloid that's also very toxic. If you like eating wild fruits uh, out in the wild, you would be wise to know that there are no edible wild tomatoes in the lower 48 United States. So don't eat tomatoes that you didn't grow yourself or buy from the store. Okay, so uh, during the Christmas season, we all like to see chestnuts roasting on an open fire. And if you're a real carnivore or if cartoon vermin annoy you, you might sing chipmunks roasting on an open fire. You ever heard that one? I like that version. That's a fun one, right? But roasting chestnuts is a real thing back east. 
Um, most of the American chestnut trees were wiped out by blight, but many have been replaced by several different Asian varieties that are very tasty. We had one in our yard, and if it had been the American variety, it would have been worth a fortune. But unfortunately, as you can tell, it was not. Um, we could have sold our house for a whole lot more. But although this nut here looks surprisingly like the real deal, it's actually the highly highly toxic state tree of Ohio, the Buckeye. Leave it to Ohio to choose a poisonous nut to represent their state. Uh, so th there are several species of Buckeye, and, and they're so similar to the chestnut, they're, chestnut, they're actually known as the horse chestnut. Okay, this one here, this is the Canada moon seed. It looks just like grapes, uh, but Okay, I, I'm going to keep my Canada jokes to myself. Um, I don't know if that'll go well or not. Moonseed moon contains daracine, which is being studied for use as a cancer treatment because it's thought to suppress the growth of cancer cells. But if you eat it, it can also suppress your ability to continue being alive. It'll actually cause cardiac arrest. So if you need grapes, go to the store or Temecula, and get your grapes. Don't get one from one of these bushes. If you don't know what it is, don't eat it. How about this one here? This is good. That looks good. Mmm. Death cap. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Word of wisdom, if you're going to eat something, don't eat something called death cap. Uh, you probably want to stick with going to the store for your mushrooms that if you're going to saute them and put them on your steak and not eat what is called a death cap. Um, probably won't go well for you. There are a whole lot more where those come from, but suffice it to say that after reading up on fruits and other things that look like food but then might kill you, I'm not going to munch on anything I find in the wild. Um, I'm just not discerning enough because it takes an informed and discerning eye to determine if it is safe to eat or not. In fact, you might remember a young man by the name of Christopher McCandless. Uh, it, in the early 90s, he graduated college and then he dropped everything to go on a wild adventure, traveled all over, and ended up in Alaska, which is where he wanted to be. And, and he wanted to explore uncharted territory um, figuring that that still existed, but he died in an abandoned transit bus, and there's actually, there's a movie out there called Into the Wild that chronicles his journey. I don't know if you've seen it or not. Um, I, I would screen it before you let your kids see it. I'm not sure. I don't think there's anything inappropriate in it, but I, I don't remember. Um, but it's debated whether or not he was courageously adventurous or he just went crazy right? But had he obtained a sufficient map, he would have found his way out. Instead, he starved to death. But he shouldn't have. He was eating rodents. He was, he was gathering uh, various other wild produce. But it's thought that he may have eaten some seeds that contained a substance which contained an amino acid that caused some paralysis in his legs and therefore made it difficult for him to forage for food. Uh, the, the, the earlier theory was that something had, he had eaten had mold on it. There's some seeds that he had eaten that had mold on it that contained an alkaloid uh, that causes problems with metabolism. So even if uh, you're getting enough calories, it, you'll still starve to death from this substance. Um, 
And so even if the food was good, it could be compromised by a toxic mold. All of this is consistent with our passage, which reveals something very consistent about God's created order. That is, God's created order is consistent in all of creation, including the spiritual realm, which he had also created. Keep your finger there in Luke 6. We're going to start in verse 43. We'll be in Luke all morning. We'll jump around a little more, but keep your finger there in Luke. Verse 43, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. The, the passage begins with the word for. It connects it to the previous statement. Jesus isn't moving into a whole new point in the sermon here. Uh, he's continuing from where we left off last week. Let's read that passage. Luke 6, 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with what measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told him a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of, uh, that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Judge not. Take the log out of your own eye, so you can see clearly to help your brother with the splinter is in his that's in his eye, since no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, because fruit grows according to what kind of plant it comes from, because good people do good, and evil people do evil, because what you say reveals what is in your heart, and then next week the, the message continues in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like, He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation when the stream broke against it immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What Jesus is doing is painting a picture for us as to what a sincere disciple of his looks like. If we're out judging others, speaking out of pride and self-centeredness, not following the instructions that Jesus gave us, how can we say that we're his disciples? Re remember that a disciple is one who follows the teaching of another. Right? So we often see in the scriptures there's a contrast between genuine and counterfeit using imagery. Like, for example, sheep and goats that both exist within the church. We then see a wolf whose purpose is to exploit and devour the sheep. The wolf can also disguise himself as a sheep. So there can be both benign and malignant counterfeits within the church in the same way that we can tell if a tree is good or bad by its fruit, Jesus is saying that in light of what we just read last week about judging others and taking the logs out of our eyes, 
before trying to help someone else with their splinters, we can tell the kind of person someone is by examining their fruit. There's an interesting piece of that, though, that we'll get into. I'm going to build up to it. During the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, the issue of fruit was one of the primary points of debate surrounding justification. This is exciting. I, I love history. Uh, you know this. <laughs> Remember that we can divide our theology of salvation into two parts, right? The first is justification, that once and for all uh, finished work of Christ and the person that is saved. So we're saved by grace through faith. We generally, that's, that's understood as, as kind of the point that someone becomes regenerate, that once and for all, the, the point that somebody becomes a new creation in Christ. Now, sanctification is the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from the time that we're justified. Uh, and, and it's to make us holy or more and more like Jesus. This is where, how we grow, right? And Martin Luther insisted that the just shall live by faith alone, and that it is never by faith mixed with good works. Romans 1.17 said, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Or in the King James it says, The just shall live by faith. That's where Martin Luther Actually, he was in German, so I don't know. But although that was the predominant view of the early church, the Roman Catholics had evolved by the time Luther came around, and they had developed this idea that justification begins with baptism as a sacerdotal act administered by a priest, at which time the grace of justification was infused, not imputed, infused into the soul. Now, we believe in imputed righteousness, which basically means it's solely an act of God to impute or give or account his righteousness to us. So we are made righteous. Under the Roman Catholic system, righteousness is infused as an act in which humans are responsible for cooperating with God's saving work in order that their lives are transformed. So under the Roman Catholic system, one is baptized and then is justified until they commit a what's called a mortal sin, which kills the justifying grace. So then they might have faith, but they're not justified. No problem. According to the Roman Catholic Church, the solution is that one must participate in another sacrament, which is the sacrament of penance. Some of you have heard that. That's where a person goes into confession and receives absolution from a priest. But then the person must also do works of satisfaction, which can be something even as small as saying a certain number of Our Fathers or Hail Marys. And that's sufficiently meritorious, according to the Roman Church, to restore that person to a state of justification. If you commit another mortal sin, you have to go through the same process again. And then if you die without a mortal sin on your soul through this process and you only have venial sins remaining, you're justified and you won't go to hell, but then you have to spend some time in purgatory while those impurities are cleansed. Uh, depending on how much cleaning is required, you could be there for as little as a day, or a million, or maybe millions of years. I don't know what the exact number is. Uh, Martin Luther spent incalculable amounts of energy opposing that system and idea. He said that God... All God promises his elect belongs to them at the moment they put their faith in Jesus. 
Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the righteousness of Jesus is transferred to our account the moment we repent and place our faith in him. Now, this is what we believe because it's what the Bible teaches. But the Bible does teach about good works. It's clear that God is deeply concerned about the fruit that we bear. This is how R.C. Sproul asked it. He said, he asks this, he says, if we're regenerate people, if we're justified people, will we not manifest that by the fruit that we bear? That takes us to another controversy that took place in the 1980s. Kids, that wasn't that long ago. I'm not that old. It's the 1980s, just a few years ago. On one side of the argument was that you can put your faith in Jesus, but not receive him as Lord and still be saved. Right? I remember using the term fire insurance. Don't just get fire insurance, right? The argument was that since justification is by faith alone, you can live by faith that is all alone and never brings forth any fruit. So you can be justified and never sanctified. You can be justified without ever producing any good works. And that idea came from a distorted view of salvation that was connected to the idea of a carnal Christian. That is the idea that what we can become a Christian and remain completely carnal without showing any fruit at all. And that is completely unbiblical because faith implies that you believe something and we always act according to what we believe, right? So if, if I believe that Jesus is the Lord, I will behave as if he is my Lord. Philip Ryken said, the real proof of our discipleship is not whether we hear what Jesus has to say, but whether we actually do the things he tells us to do. There's sort of a, I don't want to call it a caveat or exception, but there's, there's a piece to that though. And that would be, if, if you repent like as you're dying, you can't produce any real tangible fruit of obedience at that point, right? So if you truly repent to the point that you were to live, it, uh, if you were to live, it, it would then have a, a transforming effect on your life, but you're not going to live, you're going you're gonna to die. God's not going to say it's too late for you. I'll, I'll give you an example uh, from, real, from my life. I um, used to work at, at the as a speedway chaplain and there was a race car driver that was injured very badly uh, and he was in a coma for almost eight months before he died. And I remember him being there in a coma. They had him on all the, uh, in fact, they didn't even have to have him on a ventilator for a little while. I think they ended up putting on, on a vent ventilator later. I can't remember, but anyhow, he was in a coma. And so I, I put his hand on my hand and I had him squeeze my finger and he squeezed my finger in the coma. I said, if you can hear me, squeeze my finger twice. He squeezes it twice. And so then I went and I read a bunch of scripture to him and I gave him the gospel and I asked him, would you want to repent and place your faith in Jesus right now and receive your inheritance in the, in the promise of eternal life? I said, if you'd like to do that, squeeze my finger twice. And he squeezes it twice. And I got to pray with him and I truly believe I'm going to see him one day. I'm so, that, and, and I love that. that one, another example here is the thief on a cross. Right? The thief on the cross. Luke 23. 
Starting in verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief couldn't get down from the cross, right? He, he couldn't go out and get baptized. He couldn't pay any restitution. He couldn't help old ladies across the street or anything. All he could do is confess Jesus as Lord and die. And guess what? Jesus gave him that promise. So salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to God alone be the glory. And we call that the five solas in Latin. But if our faith is sincere, there will be a response. We will show evidence of fruit of the fact that we have been made new. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved by grace alone. We're saved from sin by God unto good works, right? Jesus continues his statement by appealing to God's created order of things here in Luke 6. So go back to Luke 6, 40, verse 44. It says, for each tree, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Each tree is known by its fruit. Our apple trees in New York, actually, they produce pretty tart apples. Um, they, they were way better for baking than just eating. But we rarely got enough to bake because the deer were relentless about stealing our apples. But here's the thing. I'm a California boy. I didn't, even, I didn't want an apple, right? I, even if the apples were super sweet. You know what fruit I really wanted? Who said bacon? I mean, <laughs> No, no, avocados, right? Avoca avocados are the bacon of the fruit family. Is what that's what that's about, right? I wanted avocados. Now, I counted. Do you know how many avocados my apple trees produced? I counted. I have an exact number. Zero. Zero. My apple trees trees never produced an, even one avocado. So I cut them down. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't cut them down. I didn't cut them down. But, but they were no good if I wanted to get avocados from them. The fruit was basically garbage unless you feed it to a pig. But Philip Ryken, he said this, a fruit grower never gets the right kind of fruit from the wrong kind of tree. And the right kind of tree never produces the wrong kind of fruit. Jesus is affirming the created order of the spiritual world isn't vastly different than the created order in the physical world. 
It reveals something profoundly consistent about God's character. God's created order in the physical world that we see reveals his character in all of creation. So as we look at God's consistent, by the way, did you see those, those images, those high resolution images of space that just came out? Oh my goodness, they were incredible. But we look at God's consistently in the sovereign order of creation. Jesus is connecting that into the sovereign order of justification. Verse 45 Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. We'll stop there. Philip Ryken said this, he said, whatever fruit we produce, whether good or evil, is rooted in the true condition of our souls. We can only produce the kind of spiritual fruit that is in our nature to produce. The reason we say the things we say and do the things we do is that we are the people that we are. Taking of course, into consideration that we're, we're going to wrestle with our old sinful nature until we leave these corrupt bodies, right? Our character will reveal a lot about where our heart is at. Galatians 5. You could turn there if you want. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the evil person produces evil fruit. And while Christians may struggle, the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in their lives, shouldn't it? Let's continue in Galatians there. Verse 22, Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul tells us that if we belong to Christ, we have crucified the flesh and put it to death. That's very telling language because crucifixion was, was messy, right? That means that we mercilessly ended the life of the flesh because of the evil deeds that it produces. You see, a tree will bear fruit in accordance with its nature. Apple trees produce apples. Oak trees produce acorns. Avocado trees produce the most delicious fruit in the fruit kingdom, right? An evil person produces evil. Here's the hard part. We're all born corrupted, aren't we? With sinful nature that bears bad fruit. Every last one of us. See, that became our, na our nature when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the garden. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 2 and keep your finger there. Keep your finger in Ephesians 2. We'll read the first part and then we'll come back to it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead 
and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Keep your finger there in Ephesians 2 and go to the Psalms. Psalm 14. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Back in Ephesians 2, though, we have my favorite two words in all of Scripture. But God. But God. Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, among, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 John 1 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In verse 43 of, of Luke 6 where we're at, there's that word bad, right? Bad fruit. Good, bad fruit. Um, a bad tree or a bad fruit, right? That word bad can be translated counterfeit. Interesting, right? Think about that. And we could talk about that all morning, but Judas, think about Judas. He was a faithful disciple, one of the best. But in the end, his fruit was evil. And Jesus actually called him a devil. See, bad fruit, often doesn't look or taste bad. Some bad fruits are easier than spot, to spot than others. And because we're not talking about good fruit that is either not yet ripe, or maybe has, it has been pulled and begun to rot, but, but we're talking about entirely different kinds of fruit, something miraculous needs to happen if the tree is bearing bad fruit is to produce good fruit. It needs to become a, an entirely different kind of tree. Right? That's why Paul said the follower of Jesus have died to the flesh. But it isn't enough for the tree bearing bad fruit to die. That just doesn't grow anything, does it? But look here at, first, at 2 Corinthians 5, 6, uh, 17. Rather. 2 Corinthians 5.17. That should be highlighted in your, in your Bible, I think. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold the new has come. And you see, it's not because of our meritorious works. A bad tree cannot will itself to bear good fruit. 
It cannot will itself to be a good tree. It's a miracle that God does, which results then in life transformation that will produce good fruit. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It is when God miraculously regenerates us by the counsel of His goodwill that we are made new. Romans 9.16 says so. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. Who shows, this is my favorite piece, who shows mercy. Because boy, do I need mercy, don't I? remember the context of Jesus, Jesus' sermon here. It's clear that we are to be examining fruit to see if it's good or bad. Jesus is speaking about being discerning. Why? Because there's either good or bad fruit, right? There, there are a few cases in nature, I think, I, I don't even know, I don't know that much about the plant kingdom, but there are a few cases, I think, that where there's fruit that may be just kind of neutral, right? It, it, it'll neither help you nor harm you. Um, it just kind of depends. Most of it, though, just kind of depends on the degree of benefit or harm, right? Generally, it's either going to help or harm you. And sometimes good fruit tastes bad. And sometimes, like a, like a grapefruit, right? Um, I'm just calling it like it is. Uh, and sometimes that's subjective. Like, like it's a preference thing, right? Avocados are delicious. We all agree on this, right? Uh, but you'll never, you said no. He wants, I don't know. You're never going to believe this. You're, this is, you're never, on the East Coast, on the East Coast, I met several people that don't like avocados. I know, something's seriously wrong there, right? Here's the thing. Like, I would much rather have a ribeye than, for example, a Caesar salad. Right? That's just me. Some of you prefer the opposite. Right? You'd rather have a salad. Um, these are just issues of preference because they're both good for food. I need to keep in mind that when another Christian is different than I am, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're better or worse. Right? That's not, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about bearing fruit. What we need to be discerning about is the fruit. Jesus never told us not to be discerning. But here's the real truth. And here's what it boils down to. Who's, in this passage, whose fruit is Jesus telling us to examine in the context of his sermon right here? Mine. The whole section of the sermon is dealing primarily with self-examination. Verse 42, Luke 6, 42. We read this last week again. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. So you see, see once, once we take the log out of our own eye, once we deal with our own sin, with our own bad fruit, once we have acknowledged our failures, 
we realize that we can move right past judging one another and actually help each other move toward holiness. And that should be the goal, right? Anybody here think Jesus wants us to just judge people to make them feel bad? No. Look at, look at Luke 6.45 again. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or as the NIV puts it, I think this is really uh, telling, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know that word treasure we just read? Treasure, that's where we get our thesaurus which is a treasury of words. Paul Tripp said word problems reveal heart problems. Ouch. And he also has a really good mustache. But so, so where do we begin our self-examination? Our words. What do we say to our spouse when we're frustrated or upset? How do we speak to our children? Do we talk about other people in the church to yet other people in a negative way? Or do, do we gossip? Do we use our words to convince people to view other people in the way we want them to? Do we lose control of our words when we get cut off on the freeway or when we have trouble with someone we are doing business with? Do our words build up edify and help each other or do they tear each other down and offend do we use cunning words to manipulate people and get our way do our words reflect an attitude of humility brought about by honest self-examination or do they seek to overlook our own flaws and highlight the flaws of someone else because yeah it feels better when we do that right doesn't mean we're never going to blow it with, when we speak. We still struggle with our old nature. But here's what Philip Ryken said about that. He said, the difference is that when we see the fruit of our old evil nature, we recognize that it is evil and we repent of our sin. In other words, we take the log out of our eye through self-examination. I've heard it said many times in different ways that we're not supposed to judge, but we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. Okay? But you know that's only true if the fruit we're inspecting begins with our own? Doesn't mean we say, I'm not perfect either, but that's not the attitude it's getting at. It's, taking, it's talking about taking a long, hard look within ourselves and flushing out that sin. It isn't enough just to acknowledge our failures before we address somebody else's. We actually have to remove that log. We have to repent. How often do we justify ourselves when we blow with our words? Right? I don't know what got into me. I know I've done this. Probably recently too. That isn't who I really am. Oh, that's out of character for me. How, how often do we respond like that when we really should be saying, that's me. I just realized that's me. I'm in sin. And I need to repent. 
Because often when we fail with our lips, it isn't that we made an oopsie-daisy. It's our heart revealing its true self. Back in Genesis 1, God gives us a picture of his created order. He begins to speak the living things into existence in verse 11. He, he speaks about the plant kingdom uh, and that each would bear seed according to its kind. And then he made uh, sea creatures and birds, each according to its kind. And then large and small animals and the humans, all according to their kind. In other words, the created order of things demonstrates that one kind of creature cannot bear the offspring of another. A tomato plant will never bear oranges. A bear will never bear a walnut. A cow will never produce honey. A termite will never give birth to a chicken, and a good person will not bear evil fruit. Maybe rotten, maybe not very ripe, maybe not very much, but never evil. Because darkness and light cannot dwell together. What does the fruit in your life reveal about you? What does your speech say about who you are? What is it that each of us needs to repent of this morning? Maybe you're here this morning, you realize that the fruit in your life, uh, the fruit that your life bears reveals that you've never been regenerated, reveals that you are not a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if that's you and you're ready to repent and to crucify your old nature and surrender to Jesus and receive new life in him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I, I don't do this very often. I very rarely do this. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or, you know, walk forward or, any, you know, every head bowed, every eyes closed or any of that. In fact, you don't even have to repeat this prayer verbatim. I just want to give you some guidance in communicating with our everlasting God who is the creator of all that is made. So if that's you this morning and you realize, I need to repent. I need to be made new. I want you to bow your head and pray something like this. Oh God, I am a wretched and depraved sinner who has pursued and lived according to my evil nature. Crucify my flesh now and make me a new creation. I surrender to you now to do with me as you will and to follow and obey you at whatever cost may come to me. Forgive me of my sins, which I deserve to suffer for and place upon me the righteousness of Jesus that I may stand right before you. Transform my life and make me like Jesus. Thank you for salvation and for the inheritance promised to me according to your grace. I believe in you and I place all of my faith in you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, my Savior. Amen. So if you just prayed a prayer like that, or you know that you need to, please don't walk away from this service this morning without talking to one of our leaders. We want to pray with you. We want to help you move forward in your walk with Jesus. Uh, you could talk to me. Uh, I know Josh is over here. Kevin's there in the back. You could talk to Denise uh, or Pastor Clint. 
Um, Dr. Ray or Maria over here. Um, we have a lot of people that would love to be praying for you. Tim's back here. Um, so uh, please, and uh, maybe I'll ask if a couple of you guys after the service, maybe you come forward and, uh, and you can, you know, if anybody wants to pray, they know where to find you. But I want you to talk to somebody so that we can, so that we can help you to move forward with Jesus. And with that, may each of us now look to Jesus. May we examine our own fruits. May we live according to the word of God and his unending grace. Let's pray. Our holy God, we surrender the production of our every fruit to you. Forgive us for thinking so highly often of ourselves that we spend our time examining the fruit of everyone else without considering first our own sinfulness. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and for regenerating us into, into new creatures by the blood of Jesus and sustaining us with your Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would help us to see your love of us through all of our sin and rebellion and that we would recognize what the cross did for us before we begin to think about criticizing someone else. Every one of us needs grace. First from you and then from one another. Teach us, Lord, how to give grace rightly and freely. We offer ourselves over to you as creatures created to worship you in all that we do and all the fruit that we bear as we enter our week in our mission field. And we ask your strength in giving that grace that we have been given in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.